listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by the Envision Advisors at Your Castle Real Estate. Hey everyone, Chris Lopez here. So today's podcast is with Chelsea Scott. We've got some updates on the portfolio analysis process we've done, and also we're going to walk you through a model on the spreadsheet that Chelsea has been building for the last many, many months. Chelsea, it's been a long time since you've been back on the podcast. Glad to have you back. Thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah. So let's kind of start with some updates here because what we're going to do is we're going to give you a few updates and actually then walk through the spreadsheet because that's the best Mm -hmm. way to actually visualize and understand the spreadsheet. So we've got the podcast here. There's a YouTube video as well in the brand new studio. So flip back and forth between the two. We'll try our best to talk about the spreadsheet that may be helpful with some visual stuff as well. Great. But the best analogy I have for this, Chelsea, is because, you know, we did that first, we launched this back in, I think, early November is when we launched it. Yep. And how many clients have we taken through since we launched it three or four months ago? So we broke 50 a couple weeks ago. Ooh, that all right. was super exciting. Um, we've had a, a really good mix of newer investors in the marketplace and also some really seasoned investors. And now we're, we're approaching the 75 mark for repeat meetings. So about 50 individual unique clients and then several people that we're following up with and are having our second and or third meetings with. Great. And to give everyone like context on here, then my current analogy with how portfolio analysis is evolving is it's really like an infant. You know, this is a newborn four or five months ago and we've made a ton of progress, but we are literally five months into figuring this out. And as we all know, this is a a pretty much a brand new service we're trying to figure out and a brand new modeling. So we've made tremendous progress, but we still have a lot of growing and a lot of figuring out left to do as well. So our plan with this podcast and a lot more content coming down after this is that we're going to be doing a lot more updates, a lot more analyses, and just, Chelsea, you're also just a wealth of knowledge from your other background. So we have other analyses you're doing as well that complement the portfolio analysis. So when you've been doing the last, what, 50 or 60 of these, give us a few of the the highlights that jumped out to you, whether highlights or surprises, because you've had you know brand new investors, first-time yeah. house hacker, first-time investor, to people with... 10, 15 properties to people looking to exchange a few million dollars in 1031. And there have been some patterns. What has jumped out to you? What are some patterns you've noticed? Yeah, so uh, that's it's great. It's a great segue, Chris, because it it ties both to the experiences we've had in the portfolio analysis sessions as well as the future of portfolio analysis. So some of those patterns are helping us to set what the next steps will be. Um, so let's take a look at the spreadsheet, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about some of the, the the repeating patterns that we're seeing. I got I got one more update before we jump in there, yeah. Chelsea. So this is something um, that we're going to start doing a shout out to our community okay. in the very near future because what's been the biggest request you've gotten from people after looking at it? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. And Chris, I, I think you know the answer because we've had this conversation yeah. a lot here is um web enabling the spreadsheet. So we're really excited to provide access to the information for our clients. Um, almost all, if not you know, 90% of our clients want to see the information after, very understandably, because one, it's their information, it's their investments, it's it's their financing. And then they also want to be able to, so they want to go in and understand what we talked about in the session. And then of course, they want to look at different scenarios as they move through their investment cycles. 
So I know we have a lot of people in the tech industry, programmers out there. One of our goals, one of our, our near-term goals with portfolio analysis is to web enable it. Yep. And right now we have it built uh, on Google Sheets, which yep. is a great cross-platform. But people out there on Google Sheets, it's, it's um, you know, we got to find out fine balance because it's a proprietary software that Chelsea has built. And also we got to lock certain features on there because it is, if you screw up one cell, there's a huge ripple effect. Correct. And you're going to fall off a cliff on there. So for our listeners out there, if you have been through our portfolio analysis or you're watching this video and you have some tech background help us take this online, please reach out. Just email me right now. We'll start having conversations. We just want to start getting the idea out there, having conversations so we can make a a portal off our website for a client login with their email and password. Yep. And that's all through like a WordPress membership site right now. So on our server or, you know, Amazon Web Services, we can build this on here. Mm-hmm. But figuring how we can take the spreadsheet, have a master copy to update it, yep. but then give people uh, a way to view it and then update, you know, a certain number of fields so we can make, hey, these fields update, the other fields don't touch. Yep. And so if you have that experience out there or interest, please email me and we'll start that conversation and over the next few weeks, we'll definitely be giving more specifics for what you're looking for. But I want to go out there and plant that seed. No, that's it's great, Chris. And it would be such an amazing benefit to add to this process because people really want to see the information. And some of those cells that we will allow our users to actually uh, manipulate or change are things like the interest rate on their loan. So they can see what it would look like if they refinanced. And we'll include lender points in there. We'll include PMI. We'll include some of the different fields that may be applicable if you were to do a cash out refinance or just a refinance to lower your rate. So those are some of the things that you can actually do with the spreadsheet once it's accessible to the end user. But as we said, in the interim, there are lots of fields that would cause wreak havoc on, on the spreadsheet. So we'll just kind of keep those locked up, but viewable. Great. All right. Now, what, so, you know, yeah. five months ago, we went through one spreadsheet and mm-hmm. it's gone through... Many iterations. Yeah, many. Or, I mean, probably an infinite amount because that yeah. every other day I feel like you're like, hey, did this, this, and we're you know constantly emailing back and forth, which is yeah. great. So yeah. we're back and looking at the whatever version this is. Okay. Um, you know, tell us about the portfolio that you've mocked up here. Sure. And then walk us through in the updates. So I lost track of the versions a long time ago. <laughs> I used to I used to track it with a little V and then like a 1.1, 1.2. But I, I kind of stopped that part because, um, like you said, I would change things after a phone call. I, w- I would be talking with somebody uh, on a Zoom. We'd be going through their portfolio and then it would create a great idea. And then I would go in and make those changes. So like you said, I'm not sure what version this is, but uh, we have we have definitely updated a lot of, of features. Um, we like we really want our clients to have information that's useful for them, um, and that also serves as a decision making tool. So allows them to grow their portfolio and reach those passive income goals. So for the for back to your pattern question, so. One thing people really like is this breakout between their cash position and their equity position. Um, those are two separate buckets that I separate out for them. And clients are, are constantly saying like, how am I going to get to that next step? How am I going to either acquire that next property? How am I going to reduce my principal debt structure? And how am I going to get to that final number of potentially $10,000 per month or $120,000 per year? Um, I, I use that figure because I, I say that that's right in the middle of the bell curve. So for the average person, they're looking for around $10,000 per month to come off of their real estate. So in that process, we've broken the cash position out 
to three different buckets. Okay. And so that's that's a pattern that people seem to really like. They, they seem to be able to wrap their head around the concept that I need to earmark some of my savings toward my next real estate investment. I need to create a cash reserve account for each individual investment to plan for a rainy day. And then I need to potentially, depending on where they are in their investment life cycle, they need to save a percentage of their income to continue to build toward the next real estate investment. Like their so, non-rental income, they're saving their 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 W-2 or their business income I mean, towards the next potentially, rental? yes. Okay. And especially if they're, you know, a house hacker and you know, they're on a dual income situation, you know, they're they're not really, you know, they don't have they don't have kids yet. It's great to say, let, let let's put aside five percent of our income each year, you know, toward buying that next property. And it's a great way to strategize toward that. Um, in a case where someone has 10 or 15 doors, it might be a percentage of their rental income. Okay. It could be. So it varies. But um, certainly breaking the cash out into three different you know, locations to understand how to utilize anything that's liquid. And then separating out the equity position. So understanding what equity is going to be the best equity to pull from if you need to use it toward your next investment. Um, that's something people have really liked to see. And of course, the side-by-side option of looking at their investments and comparing them to each other to make sure that they're all performing optimally has been has been a really big um a, a, a big eye-opener for a lot of our clients. Um, so I can segue into some of the updates since our last podcast, if you want. Yeah, do you want to do the updates or, or kind of walk us through this portfolio and do the updates? Because there, there's so much stuff to talk about here. There you, is. You're, kind of, you're in the driver's seat is, here, yeah. Chelsea. You're, okay. you're telling me the audience what we're doing. So okay. I'm good with whatever route you take. So uh, if you did happen to watch the last podcast, you may have seen this spreadsheet before. And I just want to kind of highlight three different really key updates that we've made since then that uh, came out of client meetings. I, I think that they're they're really useful and helpful. So since COVID uh, in the Denver metro market and in Colorado Springs, we have seen some significant appreciation happening at a very rapid pace. Yes. And that is a little bit sub-market specific because there are some neighborhoods in Denver that are not seeing as much appreciation as others based to the some mass exodus out of you know urban cores in some instances. But overall, we're seeing some appreciation. So in my repeat client visits, I have had a conversation about how much that property has changed from what we spoke about maybe back in November and then what we're talking about today, just in within like a few month spread. And so it made me realize that tracking appreciation can really be useful, not only for people to actually visually see the financial changes in their real estate, but also if they're in the decision-making process and they're thinking about selling a property, um, especially in this heavy seller's market, why don't you real, you know, look, take a look at the four to five month appreciation changes that you've had already. So in the case of, let's just look at this example here, this person has a property, it's a single family home, it's their primary residence. This is a, a non-house hacking situation. They have a primary residence with four beds, three baths. And the value of that was around 650 when we spoke the first time in 2020. That property is now, if we relook at the value, at worth six sixty-two. So we've gained twelve thousand dollars in equity just in a in a few month period. We've also we also account for the additional principal paydown. So in this case, the principal paydown has been around forty five hundred dollars, and so we're looking at a full gain of sixteen thousand five hundred dollars in that primary residence. Now, in the last conversation, if if we had spoken about a potential cash out refi to buy another investment property. 
you know, it's great to notice or to take a look at the fact that now you have another $16,500 in equity to work with. So I really, really like that feature. Um, that's kind of an added benefit is the net change in equity in a property. That carries all the way through to each individual investment. So if you look at some of the, these condos, single family homes, or triplexes, you'll see the change in appreciation. And in this particular eight unit portfolio, this one has appreciated around $84,000 in the course of several months. Now that is of course a product of the market that we're in right now and the environment that we are operating in and it is a heavy seller's market. So again, just something to consider there. Um, so I really like some of those updates there. Um, the second update I'm gonna have you um, go to is if you go to the multi-investment tab, this is a pretty simple update in, 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 its, in, its, in its fundamentals, but it's actually really, really um, telling. And I, and I, something that I started talking with clients about and I realized, wow, I don't, I don't think that they have thought about the net worth of their full portfolio. So mm -hmm. yes, we talk a lot about passive income goals. We talk a lot about cash flow. We haven't yet talked about what this is doing for you. So what we did is I, I inserted an actual column, which wasn't there the last time that we went through this. And the actual is just adding up really simply, like I said, a simple simple fundamental of we're just adding up how much did you actually spend on each property, the total value of purchase pricings, which in this case, this is around a $2.5 million portfolio. So is that through down payment or purchase price? These are the, the purchase, the full okay. purchase. So basically you purchase these properties at $2.581 million over the course of time. And this portfolio is made up of properties that have been purchased since 2018. So I chose, you know, this is a mock portfolio made up of real client investments, but they st I started with properties purchased no earlier than 2018 because anything prior to that, we're starting to get into some of those unicorn years where, you know, the market had tanked and I'm you know, making this as realistic as possible for today's market. So this, this set of, this whole portfolio purchased over around a three to four year period is worth around $2.5 million in purchase price. But the valuation on this, if I actually looked at today's current values, it's a $2.81 million portfolio. So I wanted to highlight for people the gap between what they bought it for and what it's worth today. So already right there have almost, you know, a $280,000 spread between these two numbers. Then we highlight how much debt they have because tracking that income to debt ratio is really important in the principal pay down strategy that we employ. So looking at how that actually, you know, what that looks like. Then we're looking at how much equity you have. So that's obviously the difference between, you know, the debt you have and the equity, that's your gap. And then the actual like net operating income that these this portfolio would produce is around $142,000. So this exceeds the $120,000 NOI goal. So this is a great portfolio. Eight properties exceeds the $120,000 goal if all these properties are paid off. Then we look at the cash flow and we basically say, let's look at a little bit less than, like a little bit less than half of what you want in your NOI for cash flow. So we said that this person is looking for $50,000 in cash flow. We're looking at actuals of this is actually producing 40,000. So anything in red is below the goal, anything in blue is exceeding the goal. It's pretty simple. It's a pretty simple layout, but what's but really nice. neat about it's it, clean and... it's clean. This is what I really want to hone in on though. Everybody says or what we not everybody says, but we 
we often talk about the $120,000 mark. Like I'm doing this so that I can have $10,000 of income in addition to my income passively off this real estate. So let me ask you this, because you know, I, I talk to people all the time as they're coming on creating a strategy, you're, you're talking on a different section of, of helping them out. Yep. So obviously I say all the time, are you, are you having people say the same numbers that like nine out of 10 people want that $10,000 a month at NOI? I do. Okay. And, and I mean, part of it might be, um, Part of it might be because I pre-populate the goal cell with 120,000 because not everybody always knows. Yeah. So if they don't know, they'll just go with 120,000. But yes, more often than not, 10,000 is is definitely the mid the mid number. Rarely do I hear 5,000 and occasionally I hear 20,000. I feel like now since we talked about all the time, it's just become a more self-fulfilling prophecy too. Probably. But I mean, <laughs> like 10, everyone's going to go for the 10,000 yeah. a month. I mean, it's realistic, right? Chris, yes. because because to get to eight properties is not at, you know, at totally out of hand. Exactly. We can Exactly. build yes. toward that, right? So you can actually build toward that strategy. I mean, if we get, you know, when I have someone that comes in with a $240,000 a year mark, we can work toward that for sure. But it's it's it can potentially be a longer road and a more arduous one. So it just, it just kind of depends there. But the, the highlight piece here that was really exciting to think about was, great, let's say you get to your $120,000 of passive income in 20 years. That's also another great mark, 20 years, right? 15 is a little bit aggressive. 30 is kind of just, you know, playing the game, the long game, just sort of steady Eddie the whole way, which is also a great way to look at it. But if we want to try to build strategy, we can build to a 20-year timeline. What I, what we don't talk about as much is after you've paid off these properties, you're going to have $2.8 million of assets free and clear. Okay, that's the part that I find really exciting. Like, and that yes, builds wealth. It built so now that's your net worth, that's your wealth built. Now other people will think, well, that's great. I have two point eight million dollars locked up, you know, in in that real estate. But what if I want to use that money? What if I want to? What if I want to actually now take that money out? There are usually two really clear roads at that point: the ten thirty one, where you turn to other real estate. Not always what everybody wants to do, but it's certainly an option and it avoids a lot of tax. But now let's talk about liquidating it turning it into now an equity portfolio or just taking the money for yourself or passing it on in a in an estate plan whatever the you know if that's the case if that's the road if you build in a 7% transaction fee which is pretty conservative it might be less than that but 7% on the transaction costs and then you build in the taxes which generally as a just a again using a, a mid number 20% capital gains short and long term gains you're still going to walk with around 2 million dollars wow and that's if you decide to sell. That's what I'm and saying. people could still even just do a heat without a 1039. A yeah, right. They could still. Yeah. That's another road. They're I'm saying the two most common thoughts. And um, when you're ready, when you're all done, you've paid off your properties. You're taking your ten thousand a month. You're like, I don't want my ten thousand a month anymore. I want to liquidate. I want to ask you this because I, you yeah. know, as I'm talking to people, I, you know, we're very focused on that. You know, ten thousand NOI is very much the common goal. Mm -hmm. People's timelines are usually less clear as they're figuring things out. Yep but we hardly ever, or I hardly ever talk about equity. When you start showing people mm -hmm. some of these, you know, potential portfolio, overall portfolio equity positions, mm -hmm. what's people's reaction? Is that something I'm not, I'm not having any conversations around right. that. And, and, and you're and getting into like real numbers. Yeah, which, right. And that's why I wanted to highlight that yeah. because it's not as, as it's not as common a, a portion of the conversation. It's not what yeah, we yeah. talk about as much. There's definitely a wow there. I mean, there's a big wow. Like, everyone's focused on that cash flow because today in your, what you're doing today, that's the immediate gratification. Yeah. And then it's yeah. going to pay the bills. At the it's going to pay the bills at the end of the month, all of that. And so that is where people have the conversation, not thinking about the 20 year, 25 year look ahead. 
it's a, it's a wow for sure. So now I want to segue into how do we get there in say 20 years? So if you can go back to the uh, financial investment tab at the beginning. Tab. Yep. Okay. And I want you to scroll down to the bottom. This is where a um, little bit further. Yep. Uh, it's that information right there. Down here at the bottom? Yep, it's perfect. Maybe he, there you uh, go. We'll get oh, there. It's okay. That's it right there. So this is where we start talking about the principal pay down strategy. What does that look like? It looks like let's get you to a 20-year mark instead of the 30-year mark. Not always an option because it's not always an option to pay down additional principal payments. And you're talking about when people buy a property, they put on a 30-year loan. Correct. And you're talking now, hey, let's kind of accelerate things that 20 year yes, time frame. Okay. Exactly. Thank you. So the 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 standard conventional 30 year note, let's let's rewind that by 10 years and make it into a 20 year note. And so if we're going to do that, we look at additional principal payments. So those additional principal payments using this very simple math here is for every $100,000 in debt you have, let's say you decide to put an extra 100 a month toward the principal. 200, three, or 400. And let's look at how the laws of diminishing return are going to impact that decision. Okay. So these numbers are for every $100,000 worth of debt. Mm -hmm. We're going to go through, if I put an extra 100, 200, 300, or 400 extra money per month on top of my my monthly required payment. Exactly. Does the, what interest rate is this at or does the interest rate matter on this? So the, I put it at a standard 3% interest for okay. these particular numbers. So I, I, that's a great question. A lot of people were seeing at 2.875 up to 3.25. So I kind of took a mid-range. 3% is a very yeah. good middle of the road right now. Right that's, now yeah. in today's environment, but that's a great question. And that's a really good point. It is at a 3% interest rate for this scenario. So you have a 30 year note, 3% interest, here we go. We have $100,000 out on this property. So there's a sweet spot in this plan in order to really optimally start reducing principal. Okay. You don't want to overpay it. You don't want to underpay it. Otherwise, you're going to not be leveraging your additional funds so that they hit that sweet spot. You want to hit the sweet spot in each one of these investments. So to do that, let's say that we put an extra 100 a month. And I also, with clients, I recommend that they make this choice at the end of the year. I don't recommend that they do this each month necessarily. They can, but I say, why don't you tally up all your cash flow at the end of the year and say, okay, we're going to use half toward principal reduction and half toward whatever else they're going to use it toward. Or let's make a 25, 75% split, whatever, whatever is best for them and their situation. But I think it's best to make this choice at the end of the year after you know what your final cash flow is. So let's say you make yeah, the choice. Once the money's yeah, once it's spent, gone, it's gone. It's the, gone. It's the, gone. The bank right. doesn't not gonna send you that check back anymore. No, the they're not. And I mean, <laughs> you know, real estate, that's the thing. You know, things come up in real estate. Fixes, unexpected, tenant loss, and you need well, yeah, to you're, you're having to text your tenant or property manager there because your furnace yeah, or something furnace. went out. It what, did. Yeah, the, well, the heat went on, of course, on the coldest days, right? It's, uh, typical, but yes, it's exactly right. So, yep. <laughs> so in this case, we pay that extra hundred. You're going to take seven years and change off that note. You're going to take around $12,000 of interest off that note. When you add another 200 per month. Sorry, sorry. Let me yeah. clarify this. Clarify. Okay. So we got the hundred thousand yep. dollars, you know, threshold for debt. So you're saying if I pay an extra hundred dollars per pay per month for the life of the loan, it'll reduce it by seven years in one month and about $12,000 in change in interest savings. That's a great point. And it is the life of the loan. Thank okay. you. It's not just one year. It's such a great point. Over the life of the loan, the 30 years, you've been putting an additional 1,200 per year toward that note. That note is going to terminate for you at around 22 years and 11 months. 
Great. Okay. Okay. I'm on the same page with you now. You got it. Second is let's now up that to 2,400 every year for the life of the note. Now you are in the spot where you're going to reduce it down to less than 20 years. So right around the 19-year mark or 18 and change mark? Um, so if you if you add 2400 on an annual basis every year, you're going to end at around, yeah, you're at 19 and yeah, 18 and change. 18 years, 10 months on that note. Okay. So we'll say nine, uh, 19 years for 19 that. years for okay. an average. Yep. And then you've saved just around $19,000 in interest payments as well. So you've saved 19000 So... Let's also talk about this. So you paid an additional twenty four hundred per year over twenty years, right? So you're looking at about fifty thousand of additional payments over a twenty year period, right? Okay. Twenty four hundred, yep. almost just under forty eight thousand, maybe. But you save nineteen thousand in interest payments, so you really are only paying like an additional thirty thousand dollars. Okay. Approximately. See, so there's a little bit of a give and a take. Yes. Yep. You know, yes, you had to come up with more money, but you're saving it on the backside, on the interest side. Here's where it, all, where it starts to change and the law of diminishing returns starts to come in. Now, if you pay 300 per month extra or 3,600 per year, every year, now you're only gaining 13 years and 11 months. So if you look at, at the column J here, if you look at down that line, when you increased it by 100 the first time, you actually, you know, reduced your note by four years. But now when you increase it again by that same hundred, you're only, you're at like two years, nine months of additional savings. But then when you go even further to another hundred, now you're at only a year and 10 months of savings, the gap between each of these hundreds. Being special, that's a year and 10 months at $400 or at $400 extra You're only gaining an extra year and 10 months of time. Compared to $300 a month. Correct. Okay. That's exactly right. And so you're starting to reduce that benefit of paying the additional principal down. You're also not receiving as much interest, like you're not reducing your interest payments as much in each of these increments either. So you have only a $3,000 gain, right? Like between the three and the $400 mark. So not to get too too into it at this point, I mean, this gives you a really good overview of the point of, to make the point that there's a sweet spot in principal reduction. So if we applied this and we said, let's just put an additional 2,400 on this property, this property and this property on three properties. Per $100,000 worth of debt. Per $100,000 of debt, you're going to reduce that principal payment on each of those properties at a much rap- more rapid rate. And you're gonna have three properties to pay down more quickly than by putting it into all of it into one property. Okay. We're going to spread it out over multiple properties if you actually have that additional income to pay in principle or principal. So I got a, I want to pick your brain on this some trust because I totally follow the logic here. Okay. And I like, and I like how you identify that sweet spot, mm-hmm. which is where a lot of times I think people don't look at that when it comes to investment. Right. Yep. So here's, here's been my attitude. And I, I want to I get your take on here because I have a hard time paying extra principal on a note ramp, all my notes right now are sub 4%. Mm-hmm. And I mean, my yep. primary is like 2.5. It's something stupid low right now. Yep. But all my other loans are 3.875 and lower. Yep. You know, so say at inflation or 1% above inflation. Mm-hmm. So my, my, my two thoughts for why I have not paid any extra towards my principal is that why am I putting money, an extra 100, 200, mm-hmm. 300 a month to pay off a 3% loan? And then I have the opportunity cost on there. Would I rather put that money towards a principal or should I save that to buy the next property as a down payment? 
Because a lot of the modeling I've done, I've always like, hey, I will leverage, 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 and then down the road, yep. then go into more of that debt snowball pay down method. Yep. And obviously, both are going to get you to the end, end finish line. Mm-hmm. But what are your what's your thoughts on 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 my on your thought that? process? And I appreciate it, and I have this conversation repeatedly. And what I call probably it because, is no, not because of you. No, it's not. It's it's part probably people are, are are pulling that from your from your podcast, Chris, for sure. Um, I I think that it's I call it the blended approach. It's both the blended approach. The blended approach. Okay. And what it is is it's a combination of some principal pay down. And some continued acquisition. And this goes a, a couple steps further. So some people think in what they call the 2010 rule, right? They want to basically, instead of working for 20 years at a certain rate, they want to work for 10 and pay down their real estate, you know, simultaneously to reach the same income goals, but do it through passive income as well as their own W-2 income. And so that 2010 rule is this concept that Go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm lost by the name on this rule. The 2010 Maybe rule. Maybe I'll explain it's it. It's kind of new to me as well. Um, I recently learned this rule, but um, it was it's the concept that you can work for a certain amount of money. It would take you 20 years to earn a certain income. But if you're doing that partially with real estate and partially with working, you can have the same amount of income in half the time. And this is just because it's gross running, income over a 10 or 20 this year is period. Just, this is just, yep, having all of your income come in, in from two different channels, which is the real estate investment channel and your working channel. And basically getting to your income goals over a 10-year period because you've now made as much as you would have made if you'd had zero real estate. Okay, can I repeat this back to you? So let's repeat just say it. my income goal is to make a million dollars over the next 20 years. Right. Just gross income doing that. So if yep. I work... And my job every year, I guess, pays me $50,000 a year. I get to a million dollars for 20 years. Correct. So this rule is saying I'd get to a million dollars in 10 years, in 10 years if through you real had. estate and my job, and it's optimizing it that way. Correct. Okay. So it's basically, and, and it's not so much a rule. I, maybe I shouldn't call it the 2010 rule. That's how um, I had had the conversation around it. But it's more about understanding the time value of money. So it's understanding that you can build that much income using your real estate investments as well as you can making your personal income. And so it's it's how much time do you want to spend building income and how much time do you want to spend enjoying the income? Mm-hmm. And so this this here is not so much the conversation around inflation versus interest rates and how the, the the actual is it does it make sense to put this money toward debt? It's more how long do you want this time frame to be that you're invested until you're starting to pull the money out? And most people want to see it more quickly, but they can't get there quickly with just two properties. They can't get to their end goal with just a few properties yeah, or, or three properties. They need to get to that end goal with eight to say eight to 12 doors. Let's call them doors. Because in this por- in this portfolio, while it's eight individual investments, there are two tri- triplexes in there and a duplex. So it's more than just eight doors. It's, you know, it's eight individual investments, but you need multiple doors to get there. So what happens is we go through this, we have this conversation where we talk about the acquisition phase of your investment life cycle. You're, you're acquiring, you're acquiring, you're acquiring, you're either you're house hacking or you're just investing, investing, investing. Then you hit the point where your investments will pay for themselves for your passive income goals because you have enough of them to reach that $120,000 per year. But you need multiple doors to get there. Mm-hmm. Once you get there, we start blending the approach of let's use some of the income now toward whatever it is you need to use it toward. But now let's start to deflate the balloon. Let's start to pay down the principal so that we can reduce the time as to when these are paid off. 
Okay. So it's that blended approach. It's acquire more to get to your passive income goal of $120,000 per year. You need a certain number of doors to get there. But once you've gotten there, let's start to reduce some of the debt. And in that process too, we also have conversations about leveraging one for the other to build, you know, sizing up and getting into larger investments that may have additional uh, additional appreciation and may have additional cash flow. And so we look at those different investments and that's where we start modeling this out. So if somebody were to come to me and say, hey, give me a sample portfolio of what you, you know, what my potential could be, how I can get to my goals. We would go through this entire sample of investments and then they say, well, I don't really know if I, if I like the returns on this one. I don't know if this is exactly gonna meet what I wanna do. We can swap them out for other investments. We can say, well, what would a quadplex do for you? as opposed to four individual units. That conversation comes up more often with people that are further down the line. The reason is they start thinking about management. They start thinking about managing that property. They start thinking about how much CapEx they need to put into a property. And in many cases, a quadplex will beat four individual units time and time again on the CapEx. While it may be higher, it's centralized into one unit. Mm -hmm. So if you had to replace a furnace in a fourplex, you did one and done. Yeah, one roof is less expensive than one four roofs. One and four roofs, right, exactly. And so there's that. And then there's also the concept of if you lose one tenant, you may be able to sustain it in that property because it's spread out over four. So there are lots of reasons why people make that choice to size up. And so that's another way to, you know, again, optimize a portfolio combination in principal reduction and making sure you have enough units and then getting it to the place where it's optimal for what your goals are you know, what you want to manage, what you want to be hands-on with, what you want to be hands-off with. Okay, I like it. Okay. We're gonna have to debate more about this. Uh, the principal pay down? The principal pay down. I mean, well, I, no, I definitely enjoy what you're saying now. I, I, I've been, I, I want to go just, I'm keeping my mind from tuning out to start doing mental math on, on my stuff. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start looking at this as I. You know what? You're trying to fuse two models, and I get it. You're 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 gonna you're well, gonna have to great. It's so true. I mean, if you love investing, it is definitely yeah. a hot topic. I mean, you you've hit on a hot point because there are gonna be arguments against inflation, and people say you know like people will tell you over and over, and the numbers will prove over and over that you literally real estate debt is good debt. You know, it's not the kind of debt you need to pay down. But the, kind of what makes me think about this too is, I mean, you know, the you know the, the two founders of your castle, Charles Roberts, he was very mm-hmm. much like, hey, buy property and pay it off generally as quickly as possible. I don't know, you know, he puts stuff on a lot of times, 15 year notes and pays stuff off pretty quickly. Yep. And then, you know, Lon Welsh, she's, you know, about leverage and re, uh, re, uh, 1031ing and re-upping. Yep. And they're both incredibly successful. And yeah. that, that's the interesting thing is like, they're, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's like an- when you plug in an address to Google Maps, Hey, one might take you through I-25 downtown, one may take you through right. Santa Fe, and you might both. be five minutes later or whatever, but they both get you the result. Yeah, to the end. To or the, the end destination, goal. I should say. Yeah, and, that, and that's why I like the blended conversation because that blend doesn't have to be 50-50 either. It doesn't have to be, you know, half of a leverage strategy and half of a of a 15-year note strategy. It can be 75-25. It can be 80-20. You know, you can, you can make it whichever way you, however you want. And it can be a combination of philosophies. So uh, this this is just one, but absolutely, we can we can keep this this debate going, Chris. Oh yeah, we're gonna have to <laughs> plug, plug my numbers in there and, yeah, and debate and, it. Maybe even there were a couple of drinks too to get some, okay, get some really fun good. debates. That, that's the, that's the <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's how it's done here, yeah. Um, okay, so this is, yeah, I didn't even see, you mentioned this to me a few weeks ago, I've not seen it. So this is, this is very, I'm very intrigued by this. Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting concept to to look at, and I mean, again, the biggest takeaway here is that sweet spot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, what about the SWOT analysis? Okay, so we'll, let's go. Um, 
And SWAT is Zoom strengths, forward. weaknesses, opportunities. Threats. Threats. I haven't done, yeah. That's okay. This is yep. like bringing it back to, I think like college classes maybe. Yep, it is. It's All definitely right. a business school uh, model. It's something that you kind of get drilled with a little bit um, when you're going through that that stage in life. But what, what's happening here is it's taking the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, grid, and it's creating me- metrics um, that bench against it. So those metrics are things like assessing a value to the different um the different high points in your investment. So for example, uh, what is the cap rate? Uh, what does the location look like? What are some of the amenities uh, that the property has to offer? What are, is it walking distance? It's walkability score. Uh, looking at, is it, can you leverage this property? How much equity is in it? In it? What makes sense on a 1031 if you're going to sell it? Um, is it near an employment hub? It just just has a whole set of factors and half of them are internal to the property. They actually are dictated by the property itself, like its location, like its walkability, um, you know, like whether it has a view or not, like its overall vacancy rate. And then some are external and they have to do with the neighborhood and what's going on in and around the property. And for people that know Denver and that know other markets, um, whether they're in Colorado or even outside of Colorado, a lot of this can be street by street. So you'll find like oh, yeah. one street has been doing so well and it may in your your perception might be that your property is benefiting from that and it may actually be but putting metrics to it gives us a much better picture of what we think in our minds versus what's actually going on and it can be really telling because you think that wow I you know I have a extra room for an office which during covid times is a great benefit and actually that benefit has has gone up um, as a result of covid if you have extra space in in the property and someone can put a home office in there that suddenly now is something that really matters then you have things like you know does the property have a view you know that matters for some people in a downtown location whether they're renting or not they may they may really value the view of the mountains. They may really value the view of a downtown location, but is that matter right now during COVID? It may not be as important. You know, people aren't looking to those locations. So these numbers are going to change and tracking those changes and how they actually impact the property can really give you a good, like solid number to make a decision on that property. Should I remodel it? Should I sell it? Should I refinance it? Yeah. And so this is all in case people aren't, you know, watching the, the YouTube video version of this, uh, there are probably what forty items on here, give or take a few, maybe a little yeah, more than that, approximately. And they yep. all have you know different criteria, but they all have they're weighted on, on a one to five rating scale. You know, one, Thanks, two, yeah. three, four, five, and then for each, you know, the S that blends it, it, you know, takes the average. The W takes the average, and same thing for the rest of the letters. So <clears throat> part of the reason I've always had a hard time with SWOT analysis, I think this is the way my brain is wired, because mm-hmm. some of this is subjective. Um, I have a yep. hard time with taking subjective stuff and assigning a value to it. So, so walk walk me through in the audience through like a couple of these examples and the rating systems, sure, and how we can, you know, get the best data, uh, and then how we can use it as well. Well, some of it is actually um, is data driven, and okay. so there there isn't a lot of gray area um, for for those. So, for example, your cap rate. You know, I'm assigning a five value if it's if it's over five. 
because in the Denver market, anything over five right now is, you know, is a great investment. Now, is that on the purchase or the current cap rate? Or yeah. does it matter? So I do I do capture both okay. in the analysis. So I have both the purchase cap rate and I also have the current cap rate. I, I would go with the current cap rate because it means that your your rents are keeping up with the appreciation. Okay. So that, right? that makes sense to me. You know, and I mean, and I, I tell you, especially the people that we've advised from the unicorn years, the 08 to, you know, let's call it 2013 purchasers. I mean, the purchase cap rates are off the charts because they bought yep. them so undervalued and they're renting them at such a high rate based on what they purchased them for. But they're also a big wow factor, right? They, they really make people realize that the cap rate may not look spectacular right now because real estate has appreciated at such a rapid rate, but their initial purchase has produced a really, really strong cap rate. And so this cap rate, you know, th this here would be today's values. And if it's over five, you give it a five. I mean, it's doing really well. For this, for the market condition that we're in right now, that's a great marker and that will change. So that number will change. So if we if we were to take a downturn in the market, I might make that number, you know, greater than six. You know, mm -hmm. if, if real estate were to start to deflate in value. Um, other ones that are, that are pretty, you know, straightforward would be your walkability score. That's something you can go onto a website and check. You know, what's your walk score? If it's between 80 and 100, it's a five. You know, it's got great amenities in and around it. You know, great services that people can walk to. Um, we start to get into subjective area with things like size of the property, right? I mean, there's something where I'd say a lot of people like Base. You know, I mean, some people want to be in a studio or if they're in a unit that is in a certain location, the space isn't as important to them. But some people want to have that additional space for an extra bedroom or they to turn into an office or they just they just need more space. If you have a larger single family home or a condo that just is exceptionally large for the general you know, region, make that turn that into a five, you know. That could be something that's more subjective, but it's understanding that, you know, the fact that you have a home with five bedrooms or you have a home within, with a home office, you know, that, that produces some value. Yeah. And I get that that's subjective, but when you add these all together and you come up with a number, it really gives you an idea of, is this as strong of a property as I think it actually is? And that makes sense because especially if you got, I think it's like over 40, probably close to 50 points you have on here, just the law of averages. You know, if you have enough data points, it's amazing how much like it, it tells the story for it you. It tells the story and it comes out to a really accurate number yeah. when, you, when you take all the averages on there. Yep. And so that's and, one thing that just popped to my mind. And the other thing to note is, for example, I have here near trails or near a park as options too, right? That may not apply to where you are because you're in an urban core and nobody is focused on trails necessarily or parks. You can just zero that out and remove it from the average. Like if it doesn't apply, then you just take it out. Okay. Um, I also leave space for other ones that people may say, well, I don't think you realize, but you know, I'm literally on the, you know, on the, the new light rail line in Arvada, right? And that has a huge impact on my property because yep. you can walk outside to it. You know, if you want to add transit oriented or you want to add in something like that, it is in the external factors because transit will matter um, if it's coming soon near to a property near you. Yep. But if it's in play and you think that that matters, you can, you know, those will be fields you can add in the mix. But, but having, taking a look at a property like this to me, and I did this in a, in a, in a previous life when I worked in, a for, in affordable housing. These were yeah. important factors um, when people were underwriting an affordable housing loan. They needed to know that these were transit-oriented. They needed to know they were walkable because a lot of people living in these communities didn't have access to a vehicle. So these were things that mattered. And so 
if you look at some of these, these are kind of a softer look at the at the property. You know, they're not as just hard line as what's the cash flow, what's the NOI, what's going to be the value in the future. Those all matter and those are all why we invest. But then when we're starting to get into the space of should I sell it? Should I refinance it? Should I leverage up? You know, what are what also what matters in this market? Like what do people care about here? And those things change and they will be continually monitored through this analysis based on the market and how it's performing and what matters to people. And this is just another way to assess your property as you're making decisions. Or should I remodel it? You know, should I remodel it and try to up the rents? Well, if people really care about a home office or extra storage space, or all of a sudden you found out that this brand new multifamily, you know, uh, complex came in down the street with retail on the floor, all of a sudden you have all this walkability that you didn't have before. Maybe you should improve the unit and up the rents. All right. I like this. Any other updates? I know there's probably, I know there's a ton of other updates. Any well, significant updates that are. Yeah. No, I mean, th- those are the, those are the big ones that I really okay. wanted to discuss today, but I do want to mention that uh, what we're working on right now, which will be in future iterations of these podcasts and of these conversations yep. is that we're really taking a, a deeper look into neighborhoods. And that includes top rents that are produced in smaller market areas. So we can, we can call it a primary market area, PMA. Um, some people identify it that way. It's basically a box that you create. Um, you can you can do it in the MLS. You can look at a property and create a region where you're doing a comparative market analysis. This is like a rent analysis. What are what are what's being produced in terms of rents in these in these very small regions? And then what are vacancies looking like? And then understanding the comprehensive plans of these particular neighborhoods so that we can understand the future really clearly and say this neighborhood is a great place to invest because of X, Y, and Z that's going mm, on here. Okay. And we're building one sheets for each neighborhood so that we can give a prospective yep. um, investor a one sheet on why this neighborhood, what it's producing, what its top rents could potentially be, what its vacancy has looked like, and then what are the strengths and weaknesses of that particular neighborhood. So that's kind of the the current project that's going on and something that I personally am really excited about because as an investor myself, I really like to know what is going on in these neighborhoods more than just anecdotally, more than just having a conversation about an up and coming neighborhood. I really want to understand, you know, what is coming out of these neighborhoods from a data standpoint. Chelsea, this is this is phenomenal. I have to say, you know, just the uh, the the progress you made the last whatever four or five months has just been phenomenal, and all the stuff you're yeah. doing. I mean, the feedback we've gotten from clients, uh, just seeing the the growth and the progression of building this out is. I'm just very excited for the rest of this year, 2022, yeah. and on Same. and on and on. So, Same. well, thank you, and this will be. We're going to see a lot more podcast and mm-hmm. content and all sorts of stuff from you because we're, we're kind of getting our groove with portfolio analysis. Yep. We're, we're getting out there. So, you know, clients out there, um, we're going to get everyone through here. Reach out to us if we haven't yet. Uh, listeners out there, reviews got questions, reach out to Chelsea, reach out to me. Our emails are Chris and Chelsea at Envision REA, you know, mm-hmm. respectively. But let us know what, you, what content you like, what questions you have, ideas yep. you have, like... Part of what makes this so, what I'm so interested in on here is because you're you're in a really cool position. I'm kind of jealous of this, Chelsea, is that you get to aggregate a lot of this data from, hey, you're you're in the seat where you get to do 10 of these or 
15 of these a week. And once you have data points, you see those patterns, you see those trends. Mm -hmm. And that's where it gets so interesting is once you start getting enough sample size to really do some stuff with it. Yeah. And I really appreciate all that, Chris. And and I just want to mention two things um, kind of as as a follow and, and thanks. I mean, I think, I think it's, it's really exciting to see that we can actually organize track and optimize portfolios for our clients and really get them to a place where they understand their investments. They understand the moves they're making and they feel really comfortable and confident going out and, and, making decisions for themselves and for their financial future. Um, I did want to mention that this particular spreadsheet we're looking at is also, like I said, a mock portfolio using actual investments of clients, and they're not cherry-picked. So I did not just put in the best-performing individual investments. I took an average um, based on cap rates and looked at ones that were doing you know, good enough, they were based on how the market's performing, or were close to that five, five, five cap. And so that's what you're seeing here. So these are are not eight unicorns. No, they're not. They're not eight special properties. They're very they're properties that our team sells a lot in buildings that we as a team are in as yeah. investors as well as we sell with investors regularly. And this particular concept of modeling out a portfolio has been a really big hit for follow-up clients. So after we have the initial meeting looking at their portfolio, they really want to model out their future and understand it. So it's been a great kind of continued conversation with each of these clients is now let's look at the potential of what we could do and how are we going to get you there? And then um, another place that, that people that are listening to this cast can go is if you um, Google our website, you can check out all the Google reviews on what uh, clients have actually said instead of just mm-hmm. listening to me and Chris. <laughs> you can actually hear what the clients are saying about this process and what they've taken away from it uh, to see if you know how it would fit with your own personal goals. Awesome. Chelsea, thanks yeah. so much. Thank you. Thank you.